pray. Father, thank you for this time together to worship you, to sing together. Thank you for so many that have come out tonight and uh, with a purpose of knowing you better, soaking in your word, being encouraged through God's word, strengthened, challenged to, to think and to consider who you are a time and time again. Oh, Lord, our souls need to do that. And I, I confess, and I probably with my brothers and sisters, we are so often drug away with circumstances. We fail to consider you and think about you. May we do that tonight through song and through your word, Lord. Lord, be with those who are sick. We know that some are still struggling with some of that nasty colds and flus that are going around, Lord. We pray you would just strengthen them. Pray for those who have suffered loss this week. We, we grieve for them. And we pray that you would be gracious to them, Lord. Lord, thank you for a church that cares about souls, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to attempt to finish Numbers t- tonight. I took a good shot at it a couple weeks ago. Then we had missionaries last week. So I want you to go to Numbers chapter 35. I want to just give you a, an overview of 35, what we talked about, because it was such a great text. And then some concluding thoughts about it. I uh, thought more deeply about it and jotted down a few more things. And then we'll quickly look at 36 uh, um, as they deal with the daughters of Zeholophad. Um, but when we looked at 35, 1-8, we were reminded that God always places his spiritual leaders among his people. Remember that he started to talk about the cities of refuge, and he sent the priest, and he distributed them to all of the people of God. And, and way back then, in the beginning of this nation, as go- before they ever settled in the land, he purposes to put spiritual leaders among the people. And you remember he put him inside the cities. He said, then outside the wall, a thousand cubits out, a thousand cubits wide. That would be pasture land for them. But they had no inheritance. Their inheritance was the Lord. And they were to be ready to represent God to the people in their places. So this meant that they were often separated from their tribe, from their families, to obey God, to go to those places and live among God's people and serve them. We see people do that today, right? Pastors will move around. Missionaries will go, people will go to serve the Lord in places away from their family. But God always wants his spiritual people around his people, among his people. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, and remember there it tells us twice in that passage, Peter says, be among the flock, among the flock. Spend time with them, weep with them, rejoice with them. And then the ultimate example, remember we looked at Christ? He said, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, but yet, he was constantly among the people. He healed them, fed them, cared for them, and died for them. What an amazing example of the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. 9 through 25, we talked about Israel's justice system that we saw being built here, uh, particularly through the cities of refuge. There they were determined whether a man was a, mace, a manslayer uh, or a person was to be a, man, a manslayer or a murderer. They need to understand that person they killed, was that by accident or was that premeditated? Very, very clear teaching that should be adhered to today. Uh, some court systems try, most fail at this. Um, but a very clear look at Israel's justice system. The congregation was to be the jury. They were to have two or three witnesses that were to come forward. We saw them try to do that with Jesus Christ. That yet those witnesses all lied and made up stories. Um, but then he makes this protection, this city of refuges, refuge for these manslaughter people, people who accidentally killed someone, 
They fleed for their lives. They went there. Remember that society in the world, like it is in many places today, if you killed someone in our family, we kill somebody of yours. Um, and that was very much part of that. And so God protected them to protect judge, uh, just uh, uh, ways within Israel. Now, if it was a murderer, the avenger of the blood, that was the one who was avenging that family member's blood. He was to be the executioner, of course, but it had to be done right through the congregation with witnesses. But then we hit verse 25. Remember we said this was a really interesting verse. It said that he had to remain in that city until the death of the high priest. And there we understood this high calling and heavy responsibility on the priesthood. And that the death of that high priest, that person, that manslayer, could now be free. Um, so he was to remain in that city, he was protected, and then connect it with the death of the high priest. That man could be free and no one could murder him. Oh, we connected that to Jesus, didn't we? At the death of the great high priest, we were freed. And nobody, no one can take away our eternal life. That's, that's our Lord, right? And so uh, what a great uh, teaching that, that Numbers 35 is looking forward and pressing towards the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And then verses 26 through 34, we looked into these verses and we saw the truth of God's view of sanctity and sacredness of life. The shedding of blood was to be dealt with severely and quickly. That's very key in this text. It was not to be left undone. I would just, we were just watching on the news that somebody who murdered two little girls got to stay, and now they're not going to deal with it until uh, 2025. Not this. <laughs> not in God's economy. That was to be dealt with quickly, and it's very clear here that the shedding of blood was to be dealt with severely and swiftly. Uh, we know that because God uh, certainly was very kind to Cain, very gracious to Cain in chapter 3 of Genesis. But in chapter 9, after that ark lands and they get off, God says, they shed blood, they die. Murderers die. Very clear, chapter 9, verse 5 through 6. And so these principles were laid down for the nation of Israel, for their justice and for the society to work. And so the foundational principles of life has never lost its relevance. And brothers and sisters, we see that so much today, just Think about the first days of when we heard of Hamas's slaughter of Jews. Most of the world came undone. Now, it's losing ground, isn't it? We can see what they're doing. We can see how the press works, right? But most people said, that's wrong. That, that they are now free to go after those people. They were, I mean, now some people are still standing on that. We should. But you can see that starting to wane. But that's part of society. God has built that into the fabric of society that there is justice. You take a life, there's a life that's due. And we fail to do that. But God built these principles into the very structure of society. And you see people respond to that. And you see the outrage that's going on on some of our campuses. And the things they're saying and doing. And then Jewish people are going, what's going on? Very liberal Jewish people are going, what's going on? What happened to life or life? How, how is this being allowed to happen? And so this is part of the fabric of life that God has sown into the heart of man. And it was to be taken care of in the nation of Israel to keep that society safe. 
I, and I want you to think about this. I, I, let me just read my notes. I wrote this in my notes. If society were to adhere to biblical instruction on murder and manslaughter and its strong teaching on the sanctity of life, our societies would enjoy more freedom. Now think about that. Once you lose that, you lose your freedom. Now you've got to protect yourself, all kinds of things. You, you know, where are the kids? Where are they out at night? Get back home. But all that kind of stuff because society loses these things. Now, again, we're under the fall. Lots of difficulties living under the fall. However, when we give up on biblical teaching that God wrote on the heart of man, life for life, blood for blood, we lose our freedoms as a society. And I think we understand that now. Well, let me look at a couple of thoughts, some things that just stuck in my mind as I thought about this passage in chapter 35. Number one, uh, undeserving refugees who depend on the grace of God for protection. I got thinking about because you're thinking, you've seen all these refugees, you know, uh, and you don't know their hearts, we don't know anything, but refugees are all over the world. They're, they've, they've, many of them have been unjustly moved out of different places but I got thinking about me and you and Christians, right? We're undeserving refugees. <laughs> uh, we, we need the grace of God so much in our life. And I got thinking about these cities of refuge here and how they point to Christ. There's so many passages that teach us that, that we're reminded that there's, don't be deceived. And there's no fornicators, no idolaters, no um, adulterers or effeminates or homosexuals or thieves or covetous or drunkenness or revilers or swindlers will ever inherit the kingdom of God. He tells us that, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And, and every one of us fall in that. In some way, we fall in that. We are all people who deserve the wages of sin. But God has showed such mercy on us. And he's caused us to take him. And he actually says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heaven laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's how the Lord deals with us, doesn't he? He's kind and he takes us in. So we realize that as refugees... <laughs> That, that, have, that have been brought out of the, uh, you can, I just can't get around Ephesians 2. We used to belong to the one who works the, uh, in the sons of disobedience. We were, you know, there's two people on earth, right? Those who belong to Satan's family and those who belong to God's family. It's just, it's very clear. It's black and white. People don't like to hear that, but that's what the Bible teaches. And so we've come over from that. He takes us in as, as redeemed refugees and, he, and we're dependent upon his grace and he protects us. Look, we live in a, a very corrupt society, and, and God is just, and God's going to do what he does in his timing. He's going to allow certain things um, to a point, but we strive to do our part. We strive to vote. We strive to do those things. But in all reality, you and I are greatly dependent upon God. And the minute, guys, you know this, the minute we try to live this life outside of a full dependency upon him, there comes deep struggles, anxiety, and Fears and doubts and frustrations and broken things, right? Broken things come from a lack of trust in God. And so here we are, these ones who are undeserving. We come to God and we find grace with him. See, that's a Christian life, and that's how Christians live our lives. Look at First uh, Timothy chapter 1 with me. I, just, I, I, I come to these passages often because Paul, you know, the, one of the greatest New Testament theologians, he just never 
never forgets where he came from. He, he seems to always bring this up throughout his epistles. And he often uses we passages to remind us that we're part of that. Let's see if I got the right passage here. Yes. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Sometimes I write things in my notes and in my mind somewhere else. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me. Hmm. Now, he's going to tell us that before he was this former blasphemer persecutor. What that means is he was without strength. He had no strength to save himself. He had no strength to free himself from the one who works in the sons of disobedience. But God strengthened him. He made him saved. He made him a follower of Christ. And notice he goes on, he says, he considered me faithful and put me into service. Because even though I was a former blasphemer, persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorant in unbelief. Now that is an excuse. He's saying, look, uh, and, and, and if you had Paul there, he would say, look, I knew the law. Philippians 3 says he was, he, he was the poster boy of the Hebrews. He was perfect when it came to the law. But so in his fallenness, he thought he was acting on, the, on behalf of God. Remember that? Going and killing people and putting people in jis- to prison. But notice he says in verse 14, and the grace of God was more than abundant. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? It's not like you just get enough to get in. The grace of God is more than abundant. It's a word of overflowing. I think maybe, I don't know if you've got a King James. Somewhere in here, that the King James used to love, use the word lavished upon. <laughs> There's more than what we need, more than we could ever uh, use up in a sense. Paul says, I was abundantly uh, given this grace of God. Notice it comes with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners in whom I am the foremost. Yet for this reason I found mercy. I, I, I like that when I think of myself as a refugee in a sense. Wandering among the desert of the world and just going to die out there and the Lord takes me in. Well that made me think of the next thought. Number two, the refuge of our God and Savior. The refuge of our God and Savior. Make your way to the book of Psalms and listen to these first couple of thoughts as we, as we get there. Somewhere along the line, these Old Testament saints picked up on this teaching of, this, of the refuge cities. It, it becomes so part of their fabric, so part of their understanding of God, it works its way into so many Psalms. If you're there, make your way to Psalms 2. And I want you to just follow along, jump from psalm to psalm with me. I think there's at least, I don't, I counted it, I lost count at one track, but at least 40 psalms that reference the refuge of God, finding refuge in God. So there's somewhere along the line, these devout Old Testament saints that put their hope and faith in God alone saw God as their refuge city, not, not some city that could easily be taken. We'll see that just in a minute. Look at Psalms chapter 2 with me, verse 12. Do homage to the Son that he may not become angry. <laughs> you know this great psalm, the world thinks they got it all figured out and the Lord's laughing at them. 
the last verse says, do homage to the son that he will not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. Ooh, when his wrath's going to get kindled and finally comes and brings it. Oh, how blessed are those who take refuge in him. There's going to be no city you'll hide in. No way uh, an unsaved person will ever find. They'll cry for the rocks and the hills to fall on them. They will not find refuge. You only find that in God. And these psalmists start to pick this up. Look at chapter 5. Verse 11 through 12. But yet all who take refuge in you be glad. Let everyone. Let everyone who takes refuge in you have great joy, right? Let them ever sing for joy. And may, your shelter, may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt you. For it is you who bless the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favors, with a shield. That's, that's our refuge, brothers and sisters. Are you, are you fleeing to him? That, that's, that's a good question, right? Chapter 7, look at chapter 7 with me. Verse 1, O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. I take refuge in you, Lord. Chapter 16, over a few more. Some of these are very uh, messianic psalms and speak of Christ as he put his trust in his Father as he died for us. Chapter 16, verse 1, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Down a little farther, chapter 17, verse 7. Wonder, wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against you. Run to the right hand of God. Where's Jesus sitting? I mean, just you must make that connection, don't you? That's where he's at. That's where all power and authority, that's where the word is at. He's at the right hand. Chapter 18, just drop over the next one, 18, 1 through 3. And he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Remember when we were in chapter 35 two weeks ago, those cities of refuge, you could not touch that person in there. And you were safe as long as you stayed in, stayed in there. And Shishimi, or whatever his name was, remember Solomon said, well, you stay in there and you'll be fine. Lost some servants, went out, he died. In Christ, in our God, who is our Savior and refuge, we are safe there. Look at just chapter 18, verse 30, drop down there. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. Do you feel attacked? Are you going through pressure from something or something coming at you? Refuge in, in our God and Savior. This is such a great reminder. A few more. They're so fun. to. I just enjoyed kind of walking through the Psalms, looking at this. Look at Psalms 25, a couple pages over. Verse 20. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Look, the world is going to try to make us look ashamed. They're going to try to make you ashamed for the things you stand for. They want to shame you for your view, your biblical view on marriage and life. They want to shame you for believing that you can only go to heaven through one person, the work of the Lord Jesus. They want to shame you for that. Oh, when you feel that shame, you've got to run to the one that we take refuge in. 
He guards our souls and he delivers us. Look at chapter 31 over a couple more. Verse 1, in you, O Lord, I've taken, ref I've taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. So it, when you're in his refuge, when you run into the city of our God, our Savior, you, you don't have to be ashamed. You, you have righteousness that will deliver you. Chapter 31, verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, who worship you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. The goodness of God is reserved for those who take refuge in him. You want his goodness? Man, is he a good God, isn't he? Find refuge in him. Just a few more. 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's that goodness again. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the soul of his serpent, servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You know, I think Paul probably knew that verse and connected it to chapter 8 of Romans. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Here the psalmist says, you take refuge. There's, 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 no, there's none of those. Nothing's going to happen. No condemnation to those who find refuge in God, our Savior. 36, 7, just two, two more and then one passage I want to look at. <laughs> 36, 7, how precious is the lo your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wing. I mean, your mind just goes to lots of scripture, doesn't it? Jesus, he's on the Mount of Olives. It seems like he's on his knees looking across the Kindred Valley at Jerusalem just, just shortly before his death. And he begins to cry out and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you would only have turned to me, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks under the safety of his wing. Boy, I, I know there was times in my life where I got out from underneath that safety of his wing, or at least I thought I did. It's not fun out there. It's cold, dark, and you're going to die. <laughs> Run into that wing. That's where he's at, 37, 40. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I just want to look at one last one. Skip ahead to 46. I, this is a well-known, this is actually the psalm I thought of the most. And I thought, I wonder how many more times this is used within the scriptures, this term refuge. But just look at the first few verses here. I, I think this is encouraging as we kind of see things going in our, in our world today. 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. There's that term again. Not some city, not some place, not some building, not finding the safest place in America to live and go move there. <laughs> our safety, our refuge, our strength is in God. Notice he is the very presence, very present help in trouble. That's, isn't that just heartwarming to you? Do you have trouble? Get into his presence. Speak with him, pray, read the scriptures. When your heart's troubled, run to that. We're going to be talking more about that on Sunday. The power and the authority of scriptures to calm our troubled hearts. He is our refuge. Verse 2, therefore we will not fear. Now when we do that, we know he's there. We're refuge with him. We know he's there. We will not fear. Look at this. Though the earth should change. Ooh, I don't even know what that means. Especially in this time. Because those, those cities that they were in, the great Jerusalem, 
Not one stone was left on top of another when Nebuchadnezzar got done with it. That wall they hid behind and thought they were safe, done. Their whole world changed. They went from being the superpower of the world when they obeyed God to being slaves, and most of them died horrible deaths. Put your strength, your, be, have God as your refuge. You'll find strength there. You'll find his present help in that time of trouble. You'll run to him even though the earth changes. And look at this. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Man, I thought about that. You know, when watching some of the military stuff going on and bombs hitting buildings, they just get turned to rubble in an instant. And Lord, help us if anybody ever drops a nuclear bomb. I mean, it'll turn things into rubble. If you've ever seen any volcanic activity, especially if you've been over to Hawaii or somewhere like that, these big tall mountains fall apart and they all wash down right into the sea. Run to God. Though the waters roar and foam, those of us that live in Florida, we can understand they can roar every once in a while, right? And though the mountains quake, there's a God we can run into. That's, that's such a great thing to think about God as our city of refuge. I hope that encourages you. Well, let's look at just one more thought tonight. Is the life lessons of the daughters of Zelophehad. The daughters of Zelophehad in chapter 27... Here we find the, uh, number three, these life lessons from these daughters. And you remember in chapter 27, and I just I want to end with this. And this is just an interesting way this book ends as you turn back to uh, Numbers 36. Um, so you remember in chapter 27, these daughters of Zelophehad, they came and they were concerned that their, at their father's death, their name would be blotted out because they had no sons. He had no sons to inherit the land. And the current law would only pass the inheritance of the family to the sons and not to the daughters. So you remember in 27, God led Moses to alter that inheritance so the daughters could inherit um, if they did not have brothers. And these daughters of Zelophehad had no sons. But now a new problem comes up. Sometimes when, uh, it, it's so fun to kind of watch the scriptures do that. As they made inheritance and different things, there were some problems that came up. And so God would repair that. So they go to God. You notice in 1 through 4 here, they take this issue before God. And, and what happens now that these, this decision had been made that these daughters could inherit even though there were no brothers, um, that was a decision. The problem came is if they married outside their tribe and if a Gadite married a, a Reubenite, the sons of that tribe would now get that. And so now you have Reubenites inheriting land inside Gadites. And now the, the, all the borders that he made to claim out his nation for his 12 tribes would now be all intermixed and, and it would defeat what he was doing. And there's some reasons I'll get to that in just a minute. So that was a problem and this is why they come. And so these heads of the father's house, verse 1, and the families of Gilead, they come together. They say, look, this is, this is where we're at. And the Lord commanded this land to go, but if they marry, verse 3, and these other tribes, we're going to lose um, our land. Now, notice 
in verse 1 and 2, this, this matter comes to God. And then verses 5 through 8, and I'm moving quickly because of time here. Um, but God replies, and he says, this is what he says in these verses. Well, let me read 5 through 8. Then Moses, uh, then Moses commanded the sons of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribes of the son of jo- sons of Joseph are right in their statement. This is where these girls are coming from and the challenges is going on. What happens if these, if these lands, if these daughters marry outside of their tribe, now the other tribe is going to inherit it. So he said, this is a right statement. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Zeolophad, saying, let them marry whom they wish. Only they must marry within the family of the tribes of their father. Thus, no inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from from tribe to tribe, for the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of their father. Every daughter who comes into possession of an inheritance of any tribe of the sons of Israel shall be wife to one of the families of the tribe of her father, so that the sons of Israel each may possess the inheritance of their father. He wanted that land to stay within those unique families, and that is the goal. Now, so God replies here, making saying, make no make no alterations of what I told you in the previous ruling, but order that the girls must marry within their own tribes. And that's how he solved this. Verse 7 there, notice he said, um, that would, basically what he's saying, it eliminates any land transfer between tribes. No, he didn't want any land shuffling, right? He set those borders. God sets the boundaries of where you and I live. Don't think about this, right? He sets those boundaries, he sets the boundaries of time, Acts chapter 17, boundaries, and places us in that time, those seasons and times. He places there, and he wants us to stay there, and, and that's clearly a principle that we see within this text. Now, notice in verse 9, um, thus no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall re- each hold to his own inheritance. Uh, basic, it's a repeat of verse 7, um, that we don't transfer uh, to tribe to tribe. Verse uh, 10 through 12, just as the Lord commanded Moses, the sons of daughters of Zehohaphat did. And then it lists these names of the daughters um, and married their uncle's sons. So they stayed within the family. Verse 12, they married those from the families of the sons of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, and those in the inheritance remained in the tribes of their families. So they stayed within Manasseh, uh, Joseph's sons of Manasseh um, uh, and they kept that in there. Now, I think it was interesting uh, that this whole book ends this way. I mean, it's been quite a book. When you, when you study all of this, you go, wow, Lord, this is a book about all kinds of, of problems, and it ends kind of not climatic. Uh, there's, there's been all these physical and spiritual struggles the nation's gone through, rejection of God and snakes biting people and wars and Balaam and, um, and, and immorality and all these things going. And it just ends with the daughters, hey, good, you can keep the land, just marry within your tribe, let's keep the borders the way they should be. And I thought about this a little bit and I jotted down a few notes. You, you, when you first look at this, you go, this is just in so different. But, but yet, it's not, it, the Pentateuch is such a great, that's why I want, I'm teaching through it because it's five books on the history of this nation before they go into the promised land. And there's so much to learn there, you know, personally and application-wise because it's a life that we have now. It's a lot of instruction before we enter the kingdom of God eternally. 
And so what's going to come next is these phenomenal sermons, sermon after sermon from Moses as he preaches his heart out before he goes up on Nebo and dies. And so it doesn't really end that way because it's a full full story. But then I thought about this. Most of us, our lives are not all that climactic. (laughs) We live a life. We strive to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. God is sanctifying us along more and more in the image of his son. Yes, there's, there is dramatic and climactic things that happen in our lives, but we live life, we die, and then comes judgment. That's, that's just life. It's life under the sun, and I think that's what you get when you study the book of Ecclesi- uh, uh, Solomon's Ecclesiastes. Help me with the word. Ecclesiastes, I lost my tongue there for a minute. Ecclesiastes, remember we went through that. It's this life under the sun, and then you die. And here's where it led me. I, I thought, God, life is hard here. It's hard. We live under a fallen world, and, and we battle our own flesh. And even though you've saved us, we, we battle this unredeemed humanness about us that, that struggles with all kinds of pride and ugly things that you died for and, and we repent of those things and you've forgiven us for this and we, and we go to church and we learn some more and then we wrestle a little more at home. We come back, we learn some more and that's life. It really is. I want you to think about that. And that's why church is so important. Sing songs, worship corporately, study the scriptures corporately together. Go home sing songs to yourself for the greatness of God. Study scriptures. Come back. Do it again. Do it again, do it again, do it again until you die. That's what we do. And along the way, he uses you to preach that gospel message. And people join that. And you serve the Lord. One of the dear sisters and I were just talking before service about death. (laughs) And, and, you know, we all have these ways. God, I'd like to die on my 3 o'clock nap in my sleep. I mean, right? Is that what we want? And yet some don't. Some, some go through agony. One of our sisters in this church is agonizing right now. We're praying God will take her home. And we don't know why he allows that to do that. But you know how you finish well? Worship the Lord. Know his word. Uh, there's, no other, there's no other secret to it. Because at the end of life, everything in us, all that stuff, that that has, has we've fought God on, that's all going to come out of you. Or what's going to come out of you is you're going to go, I love my Savior, sustain me, Lord, through this. See, it seems like it ends rather unclimatic. But that's often the way life ends. And I... I know when we think about a dear sister who just stepped into the Lord this last week, she walked into her house and died. And she went into the presence of the Lord. And it just reminds me that when we look at these things and we go, wow, this is, and it's a narrative, right? It's not taking everything that happened in those 40 years. It's, it's 36 chapters in the wilderness of a time over 40 years. It's an amazing choice by God and his inspiration what to put in there. And, and yet we have these snapshots of 40 years, and then they go into the, they go into the promised land. 
That's the way life is. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Study, worship, repeat. Study, worship, repeat. That's what we do. And along the way, you share the gospel with people. You share it to your children. You share it with your neighbors. You live out Jesus in your life, and he gives you opportunity. Study, worship, repeat. That's our lives. And it's a joy when we get into that pattern, and you'll start moving away from some of the things that just pull you away and get you involved in things that you wish you weren't involved in and all of some of those frustrations and not that there would not be hard things in life. But when we focus on that, we're here corporately to proclaim. I love the songs Hayward chose today. It just stirred my heart as I thought about this message and just serving the Lord to the end. And then we get into the Word together and realize we have a God who is our refuge. I hope that encouraged you tonight. Go home. Be in the city of your God, your Savior. Read your Bible, pray, come back. We'll do it again. Amen? Lord, thanks for this night. It's fun to be in your word. And we thank you for simple things like these girls who said, what about our land? (laughs) You cared about. You cared about your promises and borders that you drew. Lord, there's, there's great messages for us here. We shouldn't get mixed up in places we shouldn't be. You warned the church in Corinthians not to be unequally yoked and get outside of the plan of God for marriage and life. And, and when, that, when that's adhered to, Lord, when marriages are built on the love of Christ and, and it's striving to be like Him, there's, though there are difficulties at times, there's love and there's security and there's beautiful things you have for that. There's refuge there. Lord, when we leave what you designed for us, Lord, there's always problems. And certainly you're gracious and you forgive us when we fail. But Lord, help us to live within the boundaries that you put us in. Help us to realize, Lord, the safest place on the earth is where we're standing. The Heavenly Father in His Spirit indwells us as His children. And we are in the greatest city of refuge. We're in Christ. So, Lord, cause us to remind us of that. Help us to be worshipers who repeat it, not just out of, oh, repeat, rinse, and cycle. (laughs) Oh, Lord, that we joy, we have great joy to come to worship. Great joy to get up in the morning and open a Bible and set it on our laps, put our finger on the text, and hear from our God. It's you, God, speaking to us from those pages of our Bible. Lord, let, let, us, let us rejoice in that. Let us do it again and again and again for your glory. We praise you for these things, Lord. Bless, bless these folks. Thank you for them coming out tonight. Lord, strengthen them. Give them sweet rest tonight and ready to worship you, to know you better, and to repeat that. In Jesus' name, amen.